The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Weekend flew by. Did y'all have fun? Good. Um, me too. I had fun. Good. I'm sorry. It's early, isn't it? How are the cinnamon rolls? Did y'all like them? We used to do a thing where we gave you like a stale muffin and a little bit of yogurt. I think the cinnamon roll is better. Yeah? Back to the stale muffin? We'll do it. Cinnamon roll. Gotcha. Um, man, we, we've loved having y'all here, and it's been awesome working through uh, the book of Jude. And we're going to be there in just a minute. But, um, man, I, I've, I've used this illustration before, but uh, <laughs> one of my favorite movies all time, and it's really three movies, is the, the Back to the Future trilogy. If uh, you ever go to your grandparents and you like watch one of the classic movies, maybe you've seen that with them. And man, I, I, love, I love the movies, they're just fun, but there's a part in it that always makes my mind just spin, and it's where, uh, if you've seen it, how many of y'all have seen those movies? Oh, y'all have good parents, sorry. Um, yeah, man, those classics, they're just, just awesome. But I mean, where, where they, they go forward into the future, and the bad guy, Biff, <laughs> she's like the best bad guy name ever, Biff. And uh, the, he's old in the future, but he realizes what's going on, and they've got a time machine that's made out of a DeLorean. And, and he takes this book. It's a sports almanac, right? And so it's, it's like all the scores of every major sporting event uh, for the past, like, whatever, 50 years. And so he takes that, gets in the time machine, and goes into the past, and he gives his younger version of himself that almanac. So now for him, all those sporting events are in the future. And you know what he can do with that information, right? If you don't, I'll tell you. He can, yes, who said that? Come on, me and you, if there's ever a time machine, we're going. Yeah, he can, we can win bets, right? Like, and it's not even betting. It, I don't even, I wouldn't feel bad about it because I know it. It's not a risk. You know the outcome. And so he puts all this money down. He becomes like the richest guy in Hill Valley. And, but I mean, that's always made my mind spin because I'm like, man, what if you could really do it? What if you like really were able to communicate with your younger self and like, Man, talk about stocks, talk about what stuff to invest in, who's going to win the Super Bowl. You could be so rich, like, and, and you would use whatever money you had now man, to, to invest in that because, man, it would just explode. I think man, it, it's just a fantasy and a kind of sad one that a man in his 40s shouldn't have, but, but there we are. But it's just, it's just a daydream, right? But okay, so Jesus is telling a story in Matthew 13, and he's, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, I mean, it's like a treasure that's in a field. And when a man comes upon it, he sees it, and he covers it up, and then he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field. Do you see it? He's saying, man, it's like this guy who he stumbles upon this treasure, and it's so valuable. This treasure will completely change his life, and he realizes that, and he sees the value of it, so he goes, and he sells everything he has. He lets go of everything. He trades in everything, right? Like this guy runs up 
in his underwear because he sold everything and he buys the field. Why? Because the trade-off is incomparable. He's just become rich. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Like what? He said, there's no comparison. When you come upon the truth of the gospel, that, that we can have eternal life, that we can be free from guilt and sin and shame, that you can be free from the wrath of God forever, that all you'll know is joy, like real joy, not happiness that's temporary, but that circumstances and relationships can steal from you. Joy is rock solid, unchanging, because it's rooted in the nature and character of God, that you can have joy and peace, and you can experience the unfiltered love of God for all of eternity. You can have that. That's the kingdom of heaven is coming under the rule and reign of Jesus. Where all there is is righteousness, goodness. Where people actually love one another and treat one another like a brother or sister. Or at least how a brother and sister ought to treat one another. He said there's no comparison. Whatever you give up in this life in order to attain the kingdom of heaven, there's no comparison. You go sell all that stuff with joy. And he's not saying like, okay, so here's the gospel and, and you got to earn it. And if you earn it, then whatever you sacrificed is worth it. No, he's saying, man, you're just letting go of everything else. You're letting go of the, the lie that you have control over your life. You let go of the lie that this life is all about you, and so you got to get as much out of it for yourself as possible. You let go of those lies. You let go of the lie that, man, you can be your own God and determine what's right and wrong for you. Let go of that. Repent of it. And embrace the goodness of the gospel through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. So as we wrap up the book of Jude, and we've seen so many awesome truths and who we are in Christ, our identity, that we're chosen, that we're beloved, that we're kept in Christ. We see that we're, we, we're contending. As believers, we're contending against the lies and the manipulation of false teachers who want to come into the church and lead people astray. It doesn't mean they're, they're going to be like in the position of pastor or Sunday school teacher. It could be anybody that comes into your church and starts to pervert and twist the gospel at first, just a little bit, but makes it more comfortable maybe to like, okay, I can be a Christian and get what I want out of the world. We're contending against that. And then we see that we have responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. What does it look like to contend? Remember last night, we remind ourselves of the gospel. We, we need to fill our mind with the truth of God's word. We need to pray consistently, constantly be people of prayer. We pray in the spirit. We pray according to God's will. Then we wait. We're watching for the return of Christ. But then he says this. Look at what he says. Jude, verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear 
hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And have mercy on those who doubt. Who's he talking about? He's talking about folks in our churches, other believers, that are being influenced by the false teaching. That are being seduced by the false teachers to be, believe things that, they, that don't line up with Scripture. Or to embrace that like, oh yeah, I can believe this, but I can still do what I want with my body. I can still live however I want. Those people are in danger. And you say, man, have mercy on them when they're doubting. When they have hard questions, when they begin to doubt the, the authority of Scripture and the, the goodness of the gospel and the call of Jesus on their life to follow him and have mercy on them. What's he saying? May I correct them, point them back to Jesus. Remember, build yourselves up. It's a community effort. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Remind them of the goodness of the gospel. Speak to them the truth of the gospel, but do it with mercy with kindness, with gentleness. There'll be times, uh, I, th I think every believer goes through some sort of doubt. Some, some folks struggle hard with like the existence of God or how do we know that Jesus is truly the only way or how do we know that this even really happened? How do we know that we can really trust the Bible? You know, for me, those things, man, I, I, and there's a place for studying and learning and asking those hard questions. And when we've got 2,000 years of church history, we're really smart believers have given us solid, awesome answers to all of that. And, and, but ultimately, what we have to stand on is, man, the Scripture stands alone. And, and the Scripture has been attacked from every possible angle, and the Bible stands so that we stand now on that foundation. And, but for me... I mean, I, I typically, in my relationship with the Lord, I, I don't doubt those things. What I tend to doubt is me. I doubt, do I really love Jesus? And do, do I really believe? Am, am, I, am I being faithful? Am I, have I already compromised? I tend to doubt this. You know, and what do we need in those moments when we're going through a season like that? Oh, we need mercy. We need to accept mercy from other believers when they correct us and they remind us of the goodness and the truth of the gospel. Then he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's a, that's a dramatic picture, isn't it? Rescuing them, snatching, like grabbing them back from the fire. What's he saying? L listen to this. The, the ESV study Bible had these notes. So you know, last night we talked a little bit, we, we've done a couple times this week, and hopefully in your, your share groups, you've talked about, okay, what does it mean to study the Bible? What does it look like? How can I have that as part of my life? And then the ESV study Bible is a simple but really good tool in, in helping us, because all it is is you have the, the scripture, and then there's, again, really smart believers who have dedicated their, their life to studying the Bible knowing Greek and Hebrew, and they've done all that hard work and, and studied the history of the culture that the Bible is written in. And all they do is then put some simple notes at the bottom of the page to help you as you're reading it. And you go, man, I don't, I don't quite get that. And you look down there and, and you wrestle with the text and you pray and you ask the Lord to teach you and look down and there's little helps. But this, the ESV study Bible said this about the passage. Snatching them out of the fire, meaning they were close to the fire of God's judgment. It's simple. They, they, like, 
fire in the scriptures, in the Bible, is almost always a picture of God's judgment. So what's he saying? He's saying that there's others, there's people in your life. Now look at me. Look at me. There are people in your life who are walking straight into the judgment of God because they don't believe in Jesus, because they don't surrender to Jesus. And he's saying, like do, you see, pick, like, do you see the vivid picture in your mind? Somebody is walking into death. They're walking into fire, and he's saying, you snatch them. But in my mind, when I read it, I picture somebody just, I'm, just, I'm in a dead sprint, and somebody I love is about to walk into that fire, walk into that death, walk off that edge, and I'm grabbing them just in time and ripping them back with everything I've got. He wants us to think that way. Snatch them, grab them back. I mean, if we could physically do that and rescue people from hell, we would, right? If, if you think the reality of what he's saying, God's judgment that is real and is coming, and this is where it's so important, every, everything we've said, for, for our own faith is primarily what we've talked about so far and for other believers. But I want to uh, pause and think about this. There are people that you know and love. There are people that you're going to come into contact throughout your life, and they are walking straight into eternal death. God's judgment is real. The Bible's clear. God has established a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. God's going to judge the world in righteousness. What does that mean? It means he's going to judge the world. He's going to judge people based on his standard, not our standard. His standard of right and wrong. And, and he shows us that through his law. and his kindness, he gave us the law so we could see his standard. And what we see is that we fall short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he tells us in the, the wages of your sin, what you earn by your sin is death. And then he tells us in Hebrews that it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. Part of why you and I have to contend for the faith, part, part of why we need to build ourselves up in the most holy faith is so we don't forget this truth. Because if we get so distracted by the world, and we're seduced by the world, and we're entertained by the world, there's a point to which we'll forget that that's true, and we won't even care that people are dying. We won't even care that their only hope is Jesus, and we won't even think about it. We won't see them through the lens that this person is going to spend forever separated from God. We've got to contend for the faith. Why? so that we continue to pursue Jesus. We've got to contend for the faith, why? So we don't forget that we are some people's only hope of receiving the good news of the gospel that will rescue them from an eternity of hell. That's real. If any of it's real, this is real. And I believe it's real, why? I mean, as Zach said it, it's Palm Sunday, right? This, this is the week that we start celebrating and remembering the passion of Jesus the sacrifice of Jesus as everything he's doing is he set his face on one thing. He's going to the cross. Jesus, God became one of us so he could go to the cross. They really drove nails through his wrists and his feet 
Why? So he could hang suspended between heaven and earth and become a sacrifice for our sin. That was real. Jesus bled and died in your place. He took your wrath. He took your hell. He took your death. And he put it all into the grave. And then he rose again victorious. So we could be forgiven. So we could be free. So we could have the kingdom of God. But it's not just for you. He's saying, man, have mercy on other people. You know this truth? Have mercy on other people. Snatch them back. Grab them by the shirt collar and rip them back from death. What's that going to actually look like in your life? Caring more about what they think about Jesus than what they think about you. Not being ashamed to open your mouth and tell them the story of Jesus. What does it mean to snatch him back? Listen, look at me. Please look at me. If you're a believer, if you know the salvation that Jesus brings, you have the privilege. Is it a responsibility? Yes. Have we been commanded to do it? Yes. But it is a privilege. We get to tell people about Jesus. It's the most beautiful story ever. And it's true. You get to tell them about Jesus. For you, it might be your stepdad, a brother or sister, a friend on a team, somebody you work with, the kid next door. You get to tell them about Jesus so that they can see Oh, they've come across a treasure in a field and whatever they have to let go of, they should let go of because this is so much more important. This is so much more valuable. It's eternal life. You get to tell them that story. There's gonna be people that only you know. You might be the only believer in their life and you get to tell them about Jesus. That's beautiful. You get to do that. And whatever... (laughs) Whatever you have to give up, whatever comfort, whatever entertainment, whatever awkwardness you have to embrace, it's worth it. The Bible says that this life, this life right now, that's a vapor. It's here and gone. If you're a Christian, the Bible talks about us as if we're already with Jesus in heaven. He did everything. He's keeping us. We belong with him. This is going to be like a weird dream that we wake up from and we spend forever with Jesus in heaven and the kingdom of God. So whatever we got to let go of in order to serve people with the gospel, man, let it go. No, I'm not going to sing that song. (laughs) It's already been sung very well this weekend. Snatch him back. We're only going to do that as we remind ourselves of the gospel. The pull of this world is too strong. It wants to get your eyes on anything but Jesus and thinking about anything other than the fact that we're surrounded by people who are on their way to hell and we have the only hope. So we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got to pray in the spirit and we need to have mercy on others. He says, to others, show mercy. With fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Again, I'll read from the ESV. It's so helpful. Hating even the garments. uh, Back up. Others, these are folks that are caught up in the immorality of the world. 
but they need to be shown mercy, but with fear. Why would we show fear? Lest the faithful Christian be influenced for evil by the person he, is trying to re- he or she is trying to restore. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh implies hating the sin and everything connected with it, but the sinner themselves should be treated with mercy rather than hatred. He said there's going to be people that you know. They're, not, they're no longer struggling with doubt. They've probably given into that, and it's in their mind they've justified why they're just living in sin. And he's saying, no, we, we need to go after them too. You need to go after them too. You need to remind them of the gospel. You need to call them out on how they're living. Do it with mercy, do it with kindness, and do it with fear. Why? Lest you're tempted to join them in what they're doing. He said, man, a picture of hating even the garments they're wearing. He's saying, that sin is so close, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. And that's where we come back to why it's so important to be in church and to be in youth group and to take weekends like this is so that we remind ourselves together, man, we, we've gotta be in community. You can't live the Christian life alone. You have to be surrounded by people who love you in Christ and are concerned about your soul and that you need to be around people that you love and you're ultimately concerned about their soul. We build one another up in the most holy faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, imploring other people to be reconciled, to be saved through Jesus. That's awesome. You represent Jesus. You represent Jesus. It's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a calling, and it's a command. Remember? Jesus Jesus defeats death, hell, and the grave, leaves our sin, leaves our guilt in the grave, rises again, appears to his disciples, And the last thing he says is, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. Go make disciples. And then I'm coming back, and you'll be with me forever. That was 2,000 years ago. So we're 2,000 years closer to Jesus' return than those original disciples. But really doesn't matter, right? If Jesus waits another 2,000 years, okay. Either way, you and I, we only get one life, right? Like, um, I'm most likely over halfway if, you know, just lifespan and then family history, I'm, I'm probably over halfway. It's been fun. It's been great. Wish I would have kept my hair longer. Not a big deal. I think, man, I'm, I'm, this life is so short. He said, man, live for this. Live for this. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to be with him in a moment. And Jesus gave us really one command with a bunch of other commands attached to it, but really one command. Just go tell everybody. So there's times where you have to ask yourself, okay, am I living as if I'm ashamed of Jesus? Am I, man, am I just, am I one of these people that Jude's warning against? Have I become like, more concerned about the pleasures of this life than I am about other people's eternal souls? It's a good question to ask yourself, to examine yourself. Okay, am I living out the faith? Am I being the person that God made me and then saved me to be? 
Because here's what we all have the opportunity to do. I mean, you've been here. You've been surrounded by other believers. We've worshiped the Lord together. We sat underneath the teaching and preaching of his word. You've been in share groups. People have invested in your life this weekend. And my, my assumption is that's what's happening in your churches week in and week out. And here's what we all have the opportunity to do. To be built up, encouraged, and to go back into our normal life and be faithful sharing the gospel. Be faithful just loving people enough to tell them the story of Jesus. And have that sense of urgency. Snatching them back, grabbing them from walking into it. It's a privilege, it's an honor. And listen, here's what I believe. Jesus said this, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, won't stand against the church. You know what that means? You're gonna do it. He's gonna use you. Look at me one more time. Always, this is the last time I'm gonna say look at me. Look at me. <laughs> He's gonna use you. He's gonna use you. If you're a Christian, God is gonna use you. He put his spirit inside of you. He's gonna use you to rescue people from hell. That's awesome. <laughs> what greater calling? I, think, I mean, just think about it. What do people strive for? Be famous, be rich? I mean, how, how can, that, that's incomparable against the beauty of being a believer who gets to be used by God to save somebody from hell for all of eternity. God's gonna use you to do it. He gave you his spirit. He gave you his church. He gave you his word. He's gonna use you. Is it gonna take hard work on our part? Yeah, do we have to prepare ourselves for that? Yes, but it's worth it. The trade-off is worth it. God's gonna use you. And so go, go home from here and be faithful having mercy on other people. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.